Hello in the podcast sphere. This is New Mexico in Focus, the podcast for Friday, October 8th, 2021. And I am your host, Kevin McDonald, executive producer here at New Mexico PBS. Hope you have had a great week. Uh, if you're here in the Albuquerque metro area, I'm sure you saw some great skies and balloons up in the sky. Uh, we talked about it last week, but just a wonderful time of year here in New Mexico to enjoy the fall season. I'm still waiting for some suggestions on changing in the colors. If you've seen great places to go check that out, let us know. We would love to hear that. And we've got a lot of great content for you again this week. And it starts in this episode a little differently than most because it's all focused on one topic, and that is the Albuquerque mayor's race. Last week, we helped the New Mexico Black Voters Collaborative live stream a candidate forum with three of the four candidates. That's Tim Keller, the incumbent current mayor of Albuquerque. Manny Gonzalez is the uh, Bernalillo County Sheriff. And Eddie Aragon is the uh, talk show host uh, at Talk of Rock or Rock of Talk. I always get those confused. But those are your three main candidates. There's also a write-in candidate. He did not participate in this candidate forum, but he did send a message. You'll hear that here in a bit. Election day is November 2nd. That's a Tuesday. Uh, right now, you can request absentee ballots if you want to do it that way. Uh, best bet is to do that really by October 25th in order to get that filled out and turned back in and in the mail in time to be counted. And then... Uh, there, You can also vote early in person right now just at the clerk's annex in Bernalillo County. But starting next week, the 16th, you can uh, go to expanded early voting locations and cast your ballot. And so for this week's show, we wanted to do our best to introduce these candidates to the audience and uh, use this forum to help inform and educate you on that. So we're bringing you... Uh, that forum on on the show this week on air. Obviously, we didn't have time for all of it. It was about 90 minutes in total. So uh, here we wanted to bring you it in its entirety uh, without all we did was uh, join a little bit in progress after the opening pomp and circumstance, but then it's in its entirety all the way through. And so we would love to hear any of your thoughts about any of the questions, topics discussed, any of the answers Uh, Let us know if you're going to vote, how you're going to vote, and if you're so inclined, even let us know who you plan to vote for. Again, Albuquerque mayor elections are a little different. First, they're nonpartisan, and so we we know that Tim Keller is a Democrat. We know that Manny Gonzalez is a Democrat, although his campaign is being run by a Republican strategist. And we know Eddie Aragon is a Republican, but that doesn't come into play at the ballots, uh, except as people choose to use that information, I guess. Also, the way it works is uh, if no candidate gets above 50% of the vote come November 2nd, then the top two candidates will face a runoff. And so we will see how that all plays out. But it all starts with getting to know the candidates a little better, uh, their take on the issues, and safe to say, couldn't be further apart on a lot of these. And The New Mexico Black Voters Collaborative organized the event and vetted the questions and solicited questions from the community. There is a heavy focus, not necessarily surprisingly, on the uh, public safety and crime issue. 
Um, go after that in a few different ways. Also the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, some homelessness in here as well. And then encourage you to stay around towards the end where each candidate has an on-the-record question where they basically are asked to explain, expound, or defend uh, previous comments. Uh, really enlightening uh, very different for each of the candidates, and so that is near the end. I encourage you to hang on for that. But without further ado, let's jump right into the New Mexico Black Voters Collaborative Mayoral Candidate Forum, which was held at Highland High School. So shout out to Highland and to APS uh, for the use of the facility. Um, but here now, the Mayoral Candidate Forum. Please welcome to the stage candidate Eddie Aragon. Here he comes. <laughs> I guess you can clap now since it's going to take him a minute to get up here. Um, and next we have candidate Tim Keller coming to the stage. And finally, candidate Manny Gonzalez. Let's give them another round of applause. And so I need a bit of traveling music because I'm going to go uh, take my place in the moderator seat over there uh, as the candidates get settled in. And we'll get started in one moment. Gentlemen, I'm from Oklahoma. How y'all doing? My name is Catherine McGill. And I'm going to be your moderator tonight. But before we get started, I would like to um, remind you that this is a forum and not a debate. Each candidate is going to be given equal time to answer each of the questions um, that is presented. There will be no rebuttal. Um, and you will have uh, an opportunity to make an opening and a closing statement. Um, however, there are no cross-questioning in this particular forum. Please direct your answers to the constituents, both in this audience, and we also have an online audience, Facebook Live, and on YouTube. So your answers will be directed to them directly. Uh, there may be some time for follow-up questions that I will ask at my discretion. And I will endeavor to ensure that those questions are only asked uh, when I feel like there is a need for additional clarity. All of the questions have been screened by the New Mexico Black Voters Collaborative and our partner organizations to ensure quality, nonpartisan, and relevance to today's forum. And one of the questions at the end of the forum will be addressed specifically to each of you to explain a statement or initiative that relates to your service record. And um, so with that, um, as I mentioned, um, we are gonna have a timekeeper also, beautiful Brooke on the front row. So um, she will give you one minute, 30 seconds, five seconds, and then there'll be a lovely card that says stop. And when we say two minutes, I actually mean one minute and 59 seconds. 
So we would like you to uh, please be courteous of the other uh, members on the, the group today. Everybody's going to have a lot of time to speak, and we definitely want to hear from you. So with that, um, the opening order for that opening statement, we will begin with candidate Eddie Aragon. One minute. Hi, thank you. I'm Eddie Aragon, and uh, I'm 11th generation New Mexican, proud to be here. I'd like to thank the New Mexico Black Voters Coalition for having me here and inviting me to this debate. It's uh, most welcome. We are at a crisis here in our city, and as 11th generation New Mexican and somebody who loves this place and somebody who loves Albuquerque and has lived other places, we need to do what we can to go ahead and turn this city around. There's no doubt that it's in crisis and from a number of different categories. I'm going to run this city like somebody who's, who loves it, like someone who's passionate about it. We're no doubt going to reduce every category when it comes to crime. When it comes to COVID, no mandates ever. Medical choice. We need to increase commerce. We need to support small businesses. And most of all, we need to fight corruption and entrenched politicians here in this city. I will do everything that I can in my power as someone who loves this city to go and fight for the 505. Again, I appreciate you having me. I look forward to a great forum. Thank you. Thank you, candidate Aragon. I do want to go back, actually, before we move forward. Uh, we do have a fourth write-in candidate who is not with us tonight. Uh, we are um, putting a statement up for our online audience, and I'm going to read it here, from Patrick Ben Sice. Patrick Ben Sice is a Republican running for Albuquerque mayor as a write-in candidate. Mr. Sice will always support and will never defund our police. He will push for small business tax breaks and incentives, educate on how to get full benefits from health insurance from both state and city programs, and improve handicap accessibility in public facilities. He will provide anyone a chance to learn a trade for a successful career. Mr. Sice will bring in mental health programs for all citizens that are in need and eliminate the 24-hour programs that never worked. Mr. Sice will fight for our kids' education rights, including mandates on masks in public schools. He is a small business owner, retired truck driver owner and operator, a family man, former Yaffle coach at Rio Grande and Atrisco, and went to coach at Albuquerque High School freshman football. He is a disabled person who is experienced in the struggles of the disabled community. Um, so that is the statement as delivered by uh, Patrick Ben Sice. And with that, candidate Tim Keller. Well, thank you so much, and uh, good evening. I want to join others on this stage in just celebrating the love for our city. I think fundamentally that's why we're all here. And it was four years ago when this city entrusted me with the position to take on the biggest challenges we have facing our community. And I believe I had honored that commitment by facing these issues in all their complexity by trying to address things like root causes, by coming at challenges from all sides. And I know it's tempting to say that we can just do things like end homelessness or end crime, but the reality is we need leadership that understands that these are difficult challenges. And to address these difficult challenges, we've got to actually have meaningful solutions. And that's the foundation that I built for the city of Albuquerque. When we think about the new community safety department, the new gateway center for unsheltered community, we think about our advances on climate change, we think about the thousands of jobs that we've announced going forward. I am here to lead us through recovery and to lift up our city going forward. Thank you, candidate Keller. And finally, uh, candidate Manny Gonzalez. Thank you. Can you hear me? 
Um, can everyone make sure that your microphones are turned on? Yeah. And also that, that you speak directly into them, that'd be great. I think we can hear you. Uh, let's Is restart his time, please. Can you hear me yeah. now? We can definitely hear you. Okay, thank you. And Mason, let's restart his time, please. I was raised to believe you could do anything with your life. Shortly, uh, and, and I was also raised to uh, work hard and serve other people and also be independent. Shortly after I graduated, I went to the United States Marine Corps. I came back to my community because I wanted to do something on behalf of the people that I love. I went into uh, public safety because of personal strong convictions that I have and my service to uh, the people. I've also had the opportunity when I start started in law enforcement in 1989 to have the opportunity to start a business venture with my father. Uh, I have over 20 years of business experience in this community. I understand the frustrations for the, the people that run businesses here. But I also have almost 30 years of public safety experience, helping the, the marginalized, the victims, the people that suffer every day, the underserved, just like the exact area we're sitting in. And I've been successful in all of my endeavors, not because of myself, but because of my hard work. I am willing to do whatever it takes to, to help and serve the people of Albuquerque. Ladies and gentlemen, these are your candidates for the 2021 um, mayoral race. Please give them a big round of applause. All right, so we are now gonna go into our different categories of questions. Uh, this particular question was submitted by the New Mexico Black Voters Collaborative as a whole. Um, and as I mentioned, we will move around the order of answers. Uh, for this first question, um, candidate Keller first, candidate Gonzalez, and we'll end with candidate Aragon. The question is, can you and will you say Black Lives Matter? And if you agree, how does your record support this affirmation? If you do not agree, please state your reasons. Starting with candidate Keller, two minutes. Black Lives Matter. I said that at the last candidate forum that this group held, or uh, it might have been under a different name. And so I have said that even before the summer of George Floyd. And it's because I believe that we have a situation in our country and here in Albuquerque where racism uh, in all forms, but especially even anti-blackness still exists. And so for me, I hope that I have demonstrated to walk the walk on that. And I think we saw this last summer with what happened with George Floyd. I was there listening. I was there also in solidarity because we have to have changes in this country. And then after listening, I tried to say, what can we do in Albuquerque to actually own up to the challenge that was brought before us for racial justice? And that's why you saw a number of things come out of our Office of Equity and Inclusion, an office that I created, an office that I ran on last time, and I'm so grateful that we have. And that office worked with the community and came up with numerous ideas, whether it was a new curriculum at our police academy, whether it was having things like a superintendent of police reform to actually make sure reform happens, whether it was being honest about where we have let folks down when it comes to reform, whether it was also 
moving the ball forward in terms of things like our African-American history efforts that we're doing at our cultural center, or it's even issues like understanding our community safety department and what it means in terms of reducing the traumatization of neighborhoods of color, the over-policing of neighborhoods of color, and the individual racism that people still feel on the streets of Albuquerque. This department is alternative policing, and it is a reflection of the courage that, frankly, the community gave me to do something that our administration was already piloting. And we said, now we're going to be the first city in America that when you call 911, you're going to get a third response, a social worker, a trained professional, so that situations are not escalated, and also so that our officers can focus on fighting violent crime. Thank you, Candidate Keller. Uh, candidate Gonzalez. I would say all lives matter. My uh, campaign manager is a, a black woman and successful. Uh, while I was in the Marine Corps, my roommates were black. Uh, I have had friends uh, that I consider very close to me over at my home uh, that I care about and I love. Uh, it has nothing to do with uh, activism. I advocate for people based on my constitutional duties to ensure the most sacred things in their lives, which are their rights, their property, and their lives. And I would never discriminate against any person. Uh, my first appointment as a sheriff was having an undersheriff that was black and because he was qualified and he was there. Uh, in my constitutional duties, I have a responsibility to represent all the people and I will continue to do so. Thank you, Candidate Gonzalez. Candidate Aragon. We get two minutes, correct? Two minutes. Okay, thank you. Um, all lives matter, period. We've been divided in this country based upon the level of racist implosion here in this country that's been going on. There's no doubt that there are certain elements, certain aspects of things that have happened here in this country. But I think we need to understand, as a Republican, I'd like to state that, which is I didn't state that in my opening statement, uh, and being 4.6% black, <laughs> I want you to understand something about all of us being equal and all of us moving forward together as a society. What we've seen coming out of COVID, and I agree with the leader of Black Lives Matter, in that the mandates for vaccines are absolutely racist. And you see the numbers of people who are taking those vaccines, only 56% of African Americans are taking those vaccines right now because they don't trust it, and neither do I. We need to move forward here in this country, and I think to divide our community with only 2.6% uh, of the African-American community, of which you all know who have listened to my program, we had the first African-American talk show host on a conservative talk radio station, and that was Langston Bowens, of course, uh, named after Langston Hughes. I will say one other thing, 911 calls are down. I don't believe in the endless pandering, and certainly the uh, money that's handed out to certain uh, uh, aspects or certain groups or certain um, yelling and protesting that's been going on here in our community and has not made our, our community better. Again, I want to reiterate, the first 23 congressmen that were elected here in this country, they were Republicans. The Democrat Party itself is the party of slavery. And if anybody needs to go ahead and do a little bit of history, I would, I would suggest that they go look at the beginning of 1912 and look at Woodrow Wilson. Thank you very much. All right. Um, thank you. Our next category is going to be in the area of public safety. We have three questions, obviously. 
this is a hot button issue in our community. And so we're devoting uh, three questions because we got so many of the submissions were related to public safety. So we are doing these questions in, in three uh, categories. One, we wanna talk about your philosophy of policing. So the first question in this category is, how would you identify and define safety? And what do you identify as the leading underlying factors challenging safety in our communities, specifically communities of color? Please contextualize your answer based on your understanding of constitutional policing and divergent public outcries. On the one hand, people requesting more policing, more law enforcement, and on the other hand, people saying, defund the police. Where do you sit? This question came to us from Jay Wilson. Um, and we'll start this round uh, with candidate Gonzalez. Ma'am, that was a very long uh, question. Um, so can we, I can, can actually we break get, that I, up? I can tell I, you. Uh, I didn't know it was gonna be four parts. Well, you know, um, we, there's a lot to unpack, and basically we're asking you, what is your philosophy of policing? Can you contextualize it uh, in the context of your understanding of constitutional policing? Sure. And how do you juxtapose your, your philosophy based on divergent public views of the citizenry? So my philosophy on the constitutional policing is that this government is the government of the people. And what's happened over the span of, of my lifetime here in Albuquerque is that uh, there is an over-politicizing of policing to a fault. And we need to get to the point where we start making policies that are beneficial to the safety of the people, therefore removing the politics from public safety. I say that because when you take an oath of office constitutionally, your oath as an elected official is to uphold the Constitution and all the, all the laws of the state of New Mexico and the ordinances. To do anything less is a, would be subverting your constitutional duties to the people, specifically to marginalized areas like the one we're sitting in. Because four years ago, I received a call from the people in this area to meet with them because they felt marginalized and that this area wasn't being governed. And as the sheriff of this county being the chief law enforcement official, I came in and I listened to including the principal at this school to figure out how to better serve the students to get to school safer and figure out strategically how they could avoid some of the hyper aggressive people that are living in the streets and get them to get to the point where they could have an education. My philosophy is that we're here to serve the people. My philosophy is that I am a servant to the people. I have a responsibility to re represent every person and their individual rights and not, not impose the government on them. To be a neutral body to protect them from harm and to keep them safe. Follow-up question, um, candidate Gonzalez. Uh, what do you identify as the leading underlying factors challenging safety in our communities? 30 seconds. Bar none, politics. We have to have pol political reform. I would, I would suggest if they're gonna ask you a question tonight about police reform, 
then I would tell you to look where the policymakers are. And if okay. you're not making policies in the best interest of the people and those people that you serve in the community, because I grew up in a marginalized area in this community, and I understand that those people need service. Thank you, Candidate Gonzalez. Going to candidate Aragon, same question. Uh, contextualizing your understanding of constitutional You don't policy. have to read me back the question. Okay. Thank you, just in the essence of time. I'd like to take the additional 30 seconds that was reserved for uh, so, uh, at my discretion. Candidate Gonzalez, I think that's within the fairness of uh, this uh, forum. Uh, is Jay Wilson here? Um, the man who submitted. If you would address your, your comments to the constituencies, it doesn't I, I matter. I am, yeah. I'm asking if Jay Wilson, he's the person who put the question together, correct? Uh, he's one of the, the community members that submitted a question. Okay, yeah. And your question, again, of course, is uh, how to fortify fund public safety here. And I am actually with uh, Sheriff Manny on this, but I think we really need to take it a step further. There's no doubt that dividing us, even as far as we prosecute crime, uh, by saying that we treat certain members of, of our society, there is no color under the law. You break a law, you're punished under that law. We don't have that right now. There's preferential treatment to certain uh, categories that are out there. And what's happened is Mayor Keller has enabled a high level of lawlessness here in our community. And to that end, we need to go ahead and refund the police. In fact, there's an additional $50 million. We shouldn't defund the police. I think that uh, entire uh, word and phrase should be completely stricken, not just here, but across the country. You see crime that is running absolutely rampant in uh, blue states. You've seen it happen in Portland. We have the second highest year-over-year -year murder rates. Uh, let's not forget that there was 11 homeless people who were also murdered of stories that we don't know. I don't think that crime here in this city disproportionately affects people of color, okay? I don't think it's one particular group. What I will tell you is that there's a certain uh, group of people that are out on the street and there are homeless people, and they are a vulnerable population. I think it's important to know the three classifications, economic insecurity, you also want to talk about, I think, drug addiction, and then uh, the third of those is a group that preys upon that, and they are willingly homeless that are out there, but there's also mental uh, uh, issues uh, as well. Many of those crimes that are happening out on the streets are happening amongst our homeless population, and there's a vulnerable group of people that group that's being preyed upon about people who are committing these crimes and committing these murders, 11 murders in hotels right now. So we need to refund the police. We need to do more constitutional policing. We need to make sure that we take the $35 million in the CARES Act and reallocate it more towards the police. That came directly from the federal government. Our police officers need it. Thank you. Um, thank you. Candidate Keller. Thank you. Well, there's a lot to unpack in this one, and I'll try and try and just honor the question by actually addressing each part of it. Firstly, let me state that, you know, constitutional policing, I mean, there are actual definitions of this, but I think in summary, it's about making sure that everyone is given their constitutional rights, but the reason why it's an issue is because of both profiling uh, and implicit bias, which absolutely happens and we have to be cognizant of and acknowledge. And it also happens with respect to use of force. I mean, this is one of the reasons why the DOJ is in a lot of communities, is exactly because constitutional policing is an issue on both sides, right? And so that's what we have to continue to adhere to going forward. Now, I want to acknowledge that to say that constitutional policing is something different, I think is really a statement coming from 
naivete. I mean, this, that's just not what it is. Like, we're in a consent decree, and you've got to know the definition of constitutional policing if you want to be mayor. Also, to say that politics is the number one problem in crime is a complete disservice uh, to both victims and to law enforcement officials. Look, we all know what the number one issue is, and it's addiction and drugs, and uh, closely followed by poverty. And so, you know, even if you agree that politics is a problem, to say that it's the number one thing, I think is just absolutely over the top and completely ignoring the realities of our community. Now, I also want to mention funding. Look, we've adequately funded APD. You know, frankly, they were short funding when I came in. We've had an officer shortage for some time, but let's remember what those officers, what that funding means. It means diversion programs. It means violence intervention programs. It also means domestic violence programs. It means homicide detectives. So I actually believe that APD right now is adequately funded. In fact, the issue is hiring in all those areas. But we also have to do things like get social workers and fund all the other kinds of support programs to deal with behavioral health and addiction. And lastly, let me just say safety. What is safety? Safety is what each person thinks it is. For a woman at night, it's something different. For a person of color, when they're pulled over, it's something different than a white person. And you've got to know the difference between that if you want to be mayor of Albuquerque. Thank you, Candidate Keller. Uh, going on to our second question in the public safety, um, and I'll apologize in advance. All these questions have a few sentences, but I'll try to make sure that you understand the actual germane portion of the question. This is about recruiting. Women comprise more than 50% of the population of Albuquerque, and blacks and African Americans comprise approximately 3.2% of the population. However, the Albuquerque Police Department and its officers do not reflect the demographics of the city. What would be your strategic plan, this is the question, to have the police officers look more like the communities and citizens that they serve? Please also discuss the current makeup of the force and retention efforts for the existing workforce. Uh, we'll start with candidate Aragon. Thank you for the question. Um, I can't comment on the current racial makeup of the force. I think that's insulting from the standpoint to look at it as far as race. No doubt, uh, under Mayor Keller's administration, we've lost at a minimum of 90 police officers who are no longer there. We're unable to retain our police officers, and we all know that it's a community crisis. Uh, I think it's an insult also to say that the police officers are adequately funded. Uh, what else do we have to spend money on uh, right now? 31% of our Albuquerque, or excuse me, of our Albuquerque City budget is uh, funding police, and it needs to be a lot more. I talked already in reference to $35 million that went to the CARES Act that went directly to the fire department. We'll talk about that a little bit more. I'm not going to look at the color and the makeup in a racist hiring practice to only hire women or only hire Hispanics or only hire uh, this. We need as many bodies as possible. Um, I don't think that uh, finding people of particular persuasions is going to increase the numbers of people uh, that are going to be uh, um, becoming police officers. Uh, right now, we currently have 70 people who are constantly looking at cameras, 368 patrol officers, overall about 750. We've actually lost police officers uh, during uh, Mayor Keller's, and I think directly to the point is because we've looked and we've brought in a lot of racism uh, into his administration. I think that that needs to stop. I don't mean to be insulting in any way. Uh, I'm just like you. I'm first a citizen of this country, second, uh, and I think I'm a citizen and, and, 
and uh, uh, an occupier, if you will, here of this uh, city and state. I think we need to look as far as making sure that we can get as many people uh, into our police department as possible, and we shouldn't be looking at their racial or ethnic mixes when, when hiring. Thank you. Candidate Keller. Well, I think first and foremost, I want to acknowledge that uh, our department has suffered in this area, especially with women, uh, but also with African Americans. And that is a longstanding challenge. And all across the country, there's a challenge with women in policing. So the question is obviously what we're going to do about it specifically. And I think we've began, begun to address this issue in important ways. Number one is our ambassador program, which includes ambassadors to the African-American community, the Asian community, LGBTQ. And these are officers who actually talk with them about their issues and also encourage recruiting. This is a very important program that we started this year. Also, we try and make our leadership as best that we can reflect our community. And to have an African-American superintendent of reform at the second highest position, if not tied for the first highest position, uh, in law enforcement in the city of Albuquerque is a major, major signal. The other thing is the academy. We are on our second female director of the academy. And again, those are both under my leadership. And lastly, I want to mention that we got to remove the barriers. We have to understand why that is whether it's things around credit score or the Denny test that's happening, uh, we are in the process of analyzing exactly why people are excluded of color, but especially women and African Americans and Asian Americans actually, trying to understand where that is. So that's where we can make real policy changes that can actually make that difference. And the last part is recruiting earlier on, especially through CNM. We've started a new training program with CNM to encourage folks who are already interested in areas even of social work or of social justice or of criminology and everything in between at CNM and we'll say, hey, there might be a home for you uh, at the Albuquerque Police Department that you might not have thought of. And we can get you in the academic classes first so that you take a couple of months to figure out if that's really the right fit and then we'll slot you into an advanced academy position so you can become a member of the force. Thank you. Um, and I uh, should say that that question, recruiting question, came from Representative newly elected, our newly appointed Pamela Herndon. Um, and our final question in the public safety arena. Did you want me to answer yeah. that question? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, please answer the question. Okay, understanding the challenges for women in law enforcement, being somebody that's actually been a, a practitioner and has had to go through the adversity of being a minority in law enforcement, I understand their challenges. And so what I've done since I've been sheriff is create a pathway to success for women. And so what we've done is we understand that in some areas of law enforcement, women have a very challenging time just because they don't have access to certain things like firearm training and other things that they would have a very challenging time coming into that they don't feel as confident as a man. So what we've done is that we've retained those women and continue to work with them and hold them on staff, even if it takes us two, three, or four times to go through an academy to ensure that we have women on our staff because we understand that more women in a law enforcement agency means a less violent, more, less aggressive law enforcement agency and a more balanced law enforcement agency. So what we've provided them is a pathway to success. We have hired more women in the history of the sheriff's office in this community and it's very reflective. What I'm gonna tell you here, being raised in a community center, being raised in, a, in the South Valley in a very diverse high school, is what I would do is vote for me. 
so I could provide these people with the leadership they need that would be very reflective of this community that I was raised, born, and understand and love. Thank you, Candidate Gonzalez. Sorry that I skipped you. Um, thank you for that comment. Um, so we will go on to our uh, third question. Uh, this one is about the DOJ consent decree and the CASA agreement. It is clear from the CASA agreement and reports from Mr. James Ginger, special monitor from the Department of Justice, that APD still has use of force problems. Excessive use of force is never acceptable and is exceptionally harmful to our people of color. Currently, there is a backlog of excessive use of force cases that have not been investigated. What are your plans? This is the question. What are your plans to bring APD in line and to monitor and enforce as well as be in compliance with the consent decree? Uh, we'll start this round with Mayor Tim Keller. Sure, so for us when it comes to reform, I think we've learned a lot over the last four years. Number one is the biggest policy change that we actually did accomplish was creating a new use of force policy that was signed off on by advocates and by the courts uh, and by the department. The challenge has been implementing it, and that's why I think it's so important to have a mayor who understands how this works. First, we've got to keep the superintendent of reform. We pulled the academy and internal affairs and monitoring out of the chain of command, and that's essential to actually making progress. What we saw when we didn't have that was lots of challenges that led to the DOJ monitoring report that you referenced. Now, we've also made some changes in our academy curriculum, whether it's anti-racism training, whether it's cultural competency, or whether it's changing the leadership who runs the academy. Uh, this new leadership team is committed to actually training everyone up on that use of force. That was the number one issue that we were lagging on. That is scheduled to be completed this winter. And so those are areas where I think we're making major progress. But it's because of what we've learned. And I think it's trying to come into this with an attitude towards real change as opposed to lip service. As opposed, frankly, to the past approach, which was just either denial or, hey, this will just go away fast. We're committed to doing this for real, and that means it's gonna take a long time. That means it's gonna have starts and fits. And that means we also have to involve civilians. So right now we're involving civilians to get rid of that backlog with respect to the internal oversight and internal affairs backlog. This is very, very important because we need our officers also out on the street taking calls, but we also need folks who aren't biased who maybe for good reasons, maybe they had uh, you know, folks they worked with in the field and they're just trying to help each other out. We had to break that cycle. And that's what we've done with the EFIT program. And lastly, I wanna state that we have to be able to do more than one thing at once. We are, we are going to fight crime under my administration, but we are also going to continue on reform. And that is what we have to do, because under a US federal judge, reform is also not a choice. So anyone who tells you otherwise, that there's some quick fix or something like that, one, is not telling you the truth. Two, they should do reform for the right reasons because our department needs it. That's why they're here in the first place. Thank you. Candidate Gonzalez. First of all, I'd provide the Albuquerque Police Department with the proper leadership it needs to, in order to hold uh, themselves and the officers accountable to the public, just like we have at the Sheriff's Office. We have no history, no record, and no patterns of, of use of force violations against citizens of Bernalillo County to include Albuquerque. 
and we work here often. People respect us, we have a great relationship with the public, and they should reciprocate. I believe that there is, there is no easy solution, but it comes down to compliance. You have to have competent people that understand that the pathway forward for this community is getting that compliance piece done. So you have to be able to write reasonable, common sense policies that are achievable for the officers so they can serve the people. This, the lack of service is cre creating more victims, more harm to the public right now because the Albuquerque police officers aren't supported, aren't provided the direction, the training, and all the support they need in this, this tough environment nationally because all eyes are on them. What we need to do is tailor what, the, the, the needs of the people for the, and, and provide them with the services from the, the police department that they deserve and need. There, there's over a $200 million budget, and when there's Albuquerque police officers that telling you that there's nothing that they can do for you, that's unacceptable constitutionally. So what we'll do is get back to constitutional policing, provide them with what they need, the support, and not fold to the politics. And that goes back to my point about political reform. It starts with their leadership. Thank you, Candidate Gonzalez. Candidate Erica. Thank you. Uh, I disagree entirely with the premise of your question. I'm glad that it's located there as question number four. That's right there. I'd also like to address two things that have already been said. Our police officers are not criminals. Uh, I think we need to look more of our police force as a group of good guys. Uh, it's unfortunate that we've created that culture here uh, in our city. Uh, I, as Mayor Keller has stated, identifying things according to sex and race that further divides the police department. Again, we need more bodies. Uh, uh, Sheriff Gonzalez stated that we're less violent when we hire more women. I mean, between racism and sexism and the things that are being said here tonight, I'm a little bit incredulous. But let me get back to the use of force issues. Uh, this agreement can't be modified or changed. It is what we, it is what it is. The city of Albuquerque is plaintiff to the decree. We did this to ourselves. We need to understand that. That's not stated enough. Uh, Mayor Keller has not fought hard on behalf of our police officers. He's put more obstacles in the way of our police officers. There's a baseline Department of Justice decree that is set. The Keller administration has added even more things to that to try and appease uh, James Ginger. And I think that that's a bad thing uh, as well. So uh, $200 million, that's not enough. I've already stated we need more money for our police officers. So the city is plaintiff and party to the consent decree. We have to engage the Department of Justice daily, build a relationship with them, accelerate compliance, fight them, remove them as quickly as possible. We also have to improve the morale of the officers. They're suffering. Three out of four of them want to leave and retire. And it has a lot to do with the way that we're talking here tonight here in this, in this forum. I apologize if that offends any of you. But we've got a crime problem, 96 murders out on the street. And we're talking about race and hiring practices of discrimination. These are not things that we would tolerate in a private business. We need to support our police officers. We need to understand the Department of Justice decree is in our control. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we will go on to our next category, which is uh, refugee and immigrant populations. Um, and we'll start this round with candidate Gonzalez. So this question is, this month we saw thousands of Afghan refugees arrive in New Mexico as well as a humanitarian crisis with Haitian refugees in the border of Texas. 
The city of Albuquerque's website defines Albuquerque as being a refugee welcoming city for decades. Question is, what is your plan to support refugees from Afghanistan and Haiti as they settle down here um, in New Mexico? This question from the New Mexico Asian Family Center. Kenzie Gonzalez. Okay, so there is a uh Can you ask that question one more time? Because I, I think I got a couple of things wrong. I wasn't totally understanding your question. The question is, what is your plan to support refugees from Afghanistan and Haiti as they settle down here in Albuquerque? Well, I think uh, we're a, a friendly community in the first place. We have no authority over the federal mandates of this country. So there's no way, shape, or form can we do any type of enforcement. I think in terms of being welcoming and those people that are in uh, places of service like nonprofits and other government entities in the federal government have services they can provide. Uh, I look at it in terms of uh, there are issues uh, that we have in terms of uh, being a sanctuary city, which I would believe could be deemed unconstitutional if as long as they're not in violation of those. I would be in support of any person that visits this country legally. And so for me, that's been one of the biggest issues in terms of the drivers of crime. I actually believe sanctuary cities is a, is a policy that is very bigoted in the fact that it pits immigrants against a major, majority minority state, which we are, and us eating economic crumbs from the absolutely worst economy in the country, it creates crime. So I would never advocate for anything like that, but I would always be supportive of immigrants uh, because we are a country of immigrants. Thank you, Candidate Gonzalez. Candidate Aragon. Thank you. Um, the plan to take in the refugees, I have yet to hear of one. We have yet to understand how we're going to absorb refugees. We have a homeless population that we can't absorb as it is of other mayors and other governors sending homeless people here to our city. I am dead set against a sanctuary city. The non-cooperation of ICE detainers has increased crime, not the immigrants themselves. There's bad apples, but let me tell you a story about some good immigrants. The hardest working, uh, working people amongst us are immigrants who want to do better for themselves. And I'll tell you the number one group that I see out there that are against sanctuary si uh, city and immigrant friendly are the people who did it right, who came into this country the right way. It is of no consequence or on any action of their own that these Haitian immigrants are coming here. We're sending a clear signal from the White House. Joe Biden has stated that we're open and now we're sending them back. How incredibly cruel is that? Can you imagine making that trip and coming here? I don't think that we should encourage these people. We should encourage economic development in those particular countries, Haiti, Mexico, El Salvador. That's what we have to do. We would be a better neighbor had we did it. Human trafficking and exploitation is big. My biggest fear would be many of these Haitian immigrants would come here onto our street and they would get exploited, labor paid under the table, sexual trafficking, child uh, trafficking. You might remember there was gonna be roughly 1,500 that were gonna relocate to Glorietta of young, able men who were relocating from a Latin American country. So I don't know of any plan to go ahead and take in refugees. I do know that there are great immigrants here in this country who have worked hard, who have provided jobs, and who have uh, pulled themselves up by their bootstraps to become great Americans. And they did it right. There's a process that's involved. I don't think that we should be sending that signal 
We should be encouraging those people to stay home, and we should help those countries uh, through foreign relations by economic development, increasing trade partnerships, et cetera. Thank you very much. Kenzie Keller. Well, I think for some of this, especially for those of us who are in office now, this is about working together. And this is where, you know, I just, some of the things that I've heard, I mean, we have just been let down time and time again by the sheriff. Look, the reality is when there were child separation issues and we were fighting to keep uh, the folks coming through our town fed and taken care of, there was no help from Sheriff Gonzalez. When we stood trying to stop white suprematists from infiltrating protests about immigration and about Black Lives Matter, there was no help from BCS. In fact, there was a photo op with the Cowboys for Trump leader after it. This is what we cannot have in Albuquerque. Division, championing things that are different than just helping people who helped our soldiers in Afghanistan. Our city has been doing this for decades. The reason why it's called the International District, the reason why Highland has 17 languages spoken in it is because Albuquerque opens its arms to refugees. And you've got to know the difference between refugees and homeless and unsheltered and immigrants. And the question is about refugees. And we're ready to take on 300. And if I'm mayor, we'll be there for the next batch as well. We did this before, and we're going to do it again. Thank you, Kennedy. Keller. Um, our next question is also from the Nemexu Asian Family Center. And this is about cultural humility and language justice. Overall, in relation to our refugee and immigrant communities, what policies and procedures would you implement in terms of language justice for BIPOC, black indigenous people of color, refugee and immigrant communities that goes beyond the tricultural narrative and includes African refugees and Asian Pacific Islanders, many of whom who have, have been excluded from accessing programs, services, and opportunities based on their refugee immigrant status. For example, COVID relief programs and other government programs geared towards restoring community vibrancy. Uh, we'll start this round with uh, candidate Aragon and go from there. I think it's. Oh, is it? I yeah, I think it's. Yeah, Were I you think. First? I think I just answered. Okay. Yeah, I think sure. I'm right. Okay. Um, Count on me. I'm right. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, I, I don't know what you're saying because I don't know what language justice is. Can you explain that to me? Um, so I think the question um, relates to refugees and immigrants who may not speak the same language that we do, how do we communicate? So linguistic humility would have to do with communication. Well, I think that's a, you know, a huge problem for the refugee uh, having been here in a foreign place. I remember uh, working in Washington, D.C. Uh, I remember running into a woman who was Chinese and I remember how incredibly difficult it was for her to be here. She had no support. And this was in the United States, just a few blocks away from the White House. And uh, I helped her. I don't know what else to say. I think, you know, it's a human problem. If they're here, I think, you know, we want to help people. I think that's in all of us. Some of the most generous people amongst us are business owners and churches and, you know, people of faith. And I think there's a lot of people out there uh, who would want to help these people. And if it comes time to learn their language, 
I know several people who know a lot of languages and be willing to learn and help them and, and advance them through the system. Um, it's a difficult question. I uh, don't know that I've thought about it before. And I think that if you'd allow me some, some time to sort of indulge uh, our audience here, um, and black indigenous people of color, uh, as you, as you straight, stated, you know, I could certainly uh, pontificate and be loud and state that we're, you know, this sort of injustice and I'm forcing people out of here. I don't know that any of us are like that. I saw a woman walking across the bridge today with a young child and I stopped and I asked her if she was okay and I gave her a little bit of money as she was walking from one end to the other. So um, I don't understand the question, but I will say this, that I think we're a community when we can borrow milk from each other, when we can borrow sugar from each other, when we can reach out and talk to each other. I think we've become more hardened and certainly that type of emotional outburst from our mayor and certainly him walking up and down the street encouraging a certain level of lawlessness because of something happening 2,000 miles away from here is exactly the type of thing that's hardened our community. We're vecinos, we're immigrants, we're the first people that came here. Our statue has been toppled, and I'm most friendly to every single person out there, and I know good New Mexicans are like that as well. Thank you. Thank you, I'm gonna remind all the candidates to direct your comments to the constituents, um, okay. and we will go to candidate Keller next. Sure, well, I am passionate about immigrant rights, and I'll continue to be, and when I feel like uh, my voice needs to be heard, I will raise it. So. What I want to mention on this is, I think, first off, the first people that were here were, of course, our indigenous folks, so I just want to acknowledge that. Uh, I also want to state that, you know, when it comes to this particular issue, I think it's important to really reflect on, you got to know what language justice is and how this is the number one issue facing both our immigrant and our refugee community. Because the challenge is to get a job or to get those services, you have to be able to, to communicate with people. And so if you don't speak English or Spanish, that's a big problem. And I also want to mention that you know, language is not a requirement uh, to, to live here. And so that's the concept of language justice. We have to help people even if they don't speak our language. And even our state constitution in New Mexico reflects this. It requires that Spanish is taught in the schools. I think that's awesome about New Mexico. And I think that sets the stage for what we should do as a city and what we've begun to do with respect to language access. We've tried to make sure that every single city department has access to translation services for a number of languages. By the way, that includes Diné, that includes Toa, that includes Karis, that also includes Farsi. You've got to understand that there are at least two dozen languages that are prevalent here in Albuquerque. So it's a telephone program, that's the only way to do it because there's so many languages. But we just signed an executive order at the city of Albuquerque to make sure that every department has a language access plan. And we have the nonprofits and the translators that are able to do it, especially through schools like UNM. That's a wonderful thing here in Albuquerque. It's just about connecting those two things. And also with refugees, it's about working with our partners. For literally decades, Catholic Charities and Lutheran World Service have tried to do language training, but they only have competency in a couple of languages. And that's why we all have to step up, whether it's CNM or the city or every government agency, and help them until they're able to actually provide that training when folks first arrive here. Thank you. Candidate Gonzalez. Yeah, to pretend that you care about immigrants and virtual signaling is not the answer. So what we've done at the Sheriff's Office is created a relationship with consulates from respective countries. We understand that we're the face of government. And what we've did, because we have such a large population of immigrants in our community, 
is that we developed that relationship with the consulates so we can have them assimilate to the United States much easier. And first, the part of that is understanding the law. So we had them develop languages for those people to be successful because when you have them come into our country, you don't want to set them up for failure. And not having an, a, a plan, a strategic plan to create that, it'll never happen. Well, that's the first thing I did when I came into office. We met with those stakeholders, we created that language barrier, and created that success. And nobody has a better relationship with consulates than the sheriff's office, because we understood the importance of people coming to this country and being successful. So we didn't want to set them up for failure and just messaging. We wanted to set them up for actionables. We wanted to set them up for opportunities. And we wanted to set them up for access. And the only way you're going to do that is giving them opportunities to have a better communication base. And we developed that through the sheriff's office. Thank you, Candidate Gonzalez. Thank you to the New Thank Mexico you. Asian Family Center for those uh, wonderful questions. Um, our next category um, is homelessness and affordable housing. We use people first language um, and address uh, this particular category as people experiencing uh, homelessness or unhoused or unsheltered populations. The question coming from Ray Ellen Smith is given the extreme housing shortage and the rise in the median home price, what options do you propose for low-income housing for our Albuquerque residents, and what solutions would you propose for supporting unhoused citizens? We'll start with Candidate Keller. Well, thank you for that question, and I, I think there's some connection between these in a sense that I, I just want to note what we heard before about relationships with consulates. Um, I mean, there's one consulate here, the Mexican consulate, and we all work with them quite a bit. What is not productive for immigration or refugees is to sit with Trump and talk about how to round up immigrants. So I think it's similar when we hear about ideas around homelessness that somehow seem to be pointing to some sort of enforcement of various ordinances as some sort of solution to homelessness. These people are unsheltered because they need help. And the reality is Albuquerque has massive holes in our system. We are in a situation right now where on a 24-7 hour basis, there is nowhere where folks can go to get any kind of help, whether it's a bed or whether it's a meal. They can during the week, but not on the weekends and at night. That's why we opened the West Side Homeless Shelter 24-7. It is full because homelessness is rising all over the country. So the question is, what do we do about it? The answer is every candidate should support the Gateway Center and doing what we're trying to do at Loveless, the old Loveless on Gibson, because that's the clearinghouse. You are able to go there and have a bed, have a shower, have food, and then get sorted out to addiction and treatment, get a housing voucher, get supportive housing. That's what we need to fill the gap in the system because we actually have built hundreds of new units of supportive housing, and we have in the queue hundreds more of supportive and affordable housing. We've actually done a pretty good job in this, we just have to connect it to the folks who are out there. But remember this, when I came in, we had about 2,000 people unsheltered on our streets. Now we have 5,000. So we have to deal with this issue head on. This is not about a pilot program or any kind of enforcement issue. 
We actually have to get these people the help that they need. And that's why I support an all the above approach. And the only way we can do that is we have a place where they can get that help. And that's what the Gateway Center is all about. Candidate Gonzalez. So the mayor just stated over the last four years under his watch, you've increased homelessness by over two and a half times because of the policies that he's created. We, I said on the President's Commission for Law Enforcement and the Administration of Justice, and I worked on it with the working group in three areas. One was homelessness, one was on substance abuse, and the other one was mental illness. And so these aren't people that are homeless. These are people in crisis. We need to start treating them like human beings and part of this community. And if they're not from this community, we need to figure out how to reconnect them and act humane and not let them live in our streets and become addicted to drugs, driving crime, and getting either of them back to their families and or their communities. We need to have a thorough screening process that includes social workers, behavioral health, public health, to work alongside with law enforcement. This isn't a law enforcement issue, but you can't divorce yourself from the problem. You have to collaborate and solve issues as a community. We have to tailor a strategic plan for Albuquerque and I don't believe the uh, facility at Loveless is a place. They've colonized the homeless, or I should say people in crisis here. What we want to do is build an advocacy center where we can build success. These people need access to treatment, wraparound services, and a lot of other services, and not leaving them out in the streets. Basically, at this point, these people have not been served. They've been neglected. <laughs> And somebody needs to be held accountable for that. And I don't think there's nobody more accountable than, than the mayor. Candidate Aragon. Yeah, for, uh, for a guy who doesn't like Donald Trump very much, uh, our mayor has become quite the real estate developer as of late. $15.5 million to the Gateway Center, I have to tell you, uh, is a complete and total waste of time with some of the richest guys uh, here amongst us. Our planning and development uh, needs to be completely and totally streamlined. We have to acquire land, we have to build neighborhoods, everything's built in Belen, Los Lunas, or Rio Rancho. Affordable housing is non-existent. Small business the same way for industrial development. And I gotta tell you, uh, moving that and admitting failure by moving 2K to 5K, 5,000 people that are now homeless, I'm surprised that uh, Mayor Keller has admitted that level of failure here in our city without anything to do uh, in, in solving the problem. Building tiny houses with eight out of 40 being occupied at a cost of nearly $900 a square foot, no real estate guy. Someone's making money somewhere on that. And I think it's very vital for us to look at that and say we aren't gonna be building tiny houses uh, either. Uh, the homeless problem is something that we can take, take care of, we can handle. I already gave you the four uh, different categories. Three of those are, are the ones that the fourth category preys upon. And there's a criminal element of homelessness that does not want to go and not be uh, homeless. They want to continue to be homeless and prey upon the, the mental, uh, the people who are mentally debilitated, the people who are drug addicted. Uh, this is really important and the economic uh, insufficiency. We have to determine the best care on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, Diane Gibson, I can't believe I'm quoting her, she's the exiting uh, city councilor, but she had a great idea. Homeless encampments where we can control, track, help, and manage these people on a case-by-case -case basis as our clients, so we can help them find their forever homes. Sheriff Gonzalez is right, we treat, you know, 
uh, we don't treat our homeless people uh, good enough. For the amount of money that we spend, and I will say $20 million on that, we shouldn't be trying to audit, we shouldn't be trying to compete, as Mayor Keller has uh, certainly done during his administration. This is a broader, bigger issue. I'd like more questions on this. We have a pretty comprehensive plan that you can see at fightfor505.com. Thank you. All right, going on to our next question, we have about 20 more minutes left in the forum. I thank the audience for holding your applause and comments until the end. Um, we have a question coming from Latosha Badu, and I apologize if I uh, mispronounced your name, Latosha. Uh, but the question is, there have been reports of Albuquerque Police Department destroying the tents and personal property of our unhoused community members. With winter approaching, this is the question, what do you intend to do to ensure that unhoused citizens know that they are a part of our community and not automatically being treated as criminals? We'll start with candidate Gonzalez. Sure, uh, first of all, I would treat them with the dignity and respect that I was brought up to teach, uh, uh, treat everybody with. And so, therefore, if that's going on, I would hold people accountable. Uh, the other thing we need to do is make sure that those people are provided the services they need. Uh, I want, this is a, an opportunity for me to expand on my last answer and basically tell people there's a carrot in the stick for public safety, specifically APD. And that's ensuring that the carrot is the service piece where they can provide these people with the resources, lead them in the right direction to get help, and support them when they have issues. When they're not complying and they're breaking the law, that's the stick part of law enforcement. And that's why they have the full sworn constitutional power by the people to enforce all the ordinances, all the laws of the state of New Mexico. And we can't waver on that. When we do that, miraculous things will happen in Albuquerque. We'll have a better quality of life. So will they. So will they. And we want to see people be successful. There's a lot of business owners out here to include nonprofits that have uh, nonprofits like Habitat for Humanity that can build skills for, for these people. And they can also pre provide opportunities to also make this a better community. But we have to be able to support, collaborate with nonprofits, faith-based groups, business people, government, and all other stakeholders because this is a community problem it's not a law enforcement problem. Candidate Aragon. Thank you uh, for the question. Uh, I read a lot. Uh, I believe that your reports that you're receiving are unsubstantiated. Uh, police destroying uh, tents, I would challenge any of our constituents here in the audience to tell us where they've heard that. Mayor Keller is currently on a cleanup because it's time to look tidy because uh, the State Fair and the Balloon Fiesta are currently in there. So if that's what's being referenced, that's not the job of our police officers to go ahead and do that. And uh, I, as a guy who reads a lot and listens to a lot of scanners, I'd like to thank uh, the mayor for uh, basically turning back the scanners on because we have yet to hear any of that. Uh, uh, I'd like to get back to you know, how we treat people, much like Sheriff Manny Gonzalez is stating, and I think that that's important. And I want to kind of continue to talk about our sanctioned encampments that Diane Gibson actually introduced, safe outdoor spaces. I am in full, complete support so we can manage this. It's a temporary measure, less than 30 days, and something that we can do before we transport homeless to their forever homes or back to their hometown, or we find them the services that they need. Remember, if mental, we give care and, and transport to the facility immediately. If drug-related, give care and transport to 
jail immediately, and if economic, give care and transport to shelter immediately. And if they refuse, we transport out of the city. We need to be actively managed with, of course, caseworkers. That is one thing that Mayor Keller did talk about that I think is important, because we have to find a suitable solution for our homeless clients. When we're taking them on, and I'll tell you, a lot of irresponsible neighbors ship them out and don't track them. There's a boomerang effect that happens years later. There's a very good report that you should read. The British had to be the, the, the British Times, or excuse me, UK Mail, uh, that actually had to talk about this and tracking these people because the media is absolutely just trying to defray this, this situation. I think it's very important for us to prevent those organic camps that are popping up everywhere. When we don't have control, when we don't track our homeless, we cannot help them, and crime, as we've seen certainly in 2021, has increased. Thank you for the time. Kenzie Keller. Well, I think we, it goes without saying, but we have to recognize like where this homeless challenge is coming from. It's happening nationally, and it's happening nationally coming out of COVID. And so this is something every city is dealing with, and it's something that we have to acknowledge how big the problem is. It doesn't even matter whose fault it is. You have to address a 5,000-person problem, not a 40-person problem. That's why an all-the-above approach is so important. And that's also why it's completely contradictory to say we need to enforce our ordinances and not do things like enforce the public health ordinance. Manny refused to enforce that, yet he wants to enforce ordinances around homelessness. And you can't have it both ways. And that's why I believe, actually, in part, even in what Eddie is saying, look, we do need to look at all of the above. That means sanctioned encampments, safe, open spaces. But that also means we have to have somewhere where people can go. And I want to remind everyone that the public voted on the Gateway Center, and they voted yes. So if you're not happy with that, you know, you're going against what the voters said, and we already spent the money, we already have the facility. So no matter what you want to do, let's use that. But what we have to have is a no barriers place of entry. When you put up these barriers about like where you're from or all of these things, what do people do if they have mental health conditions? What do people do if they are actually suffering from a behavioral health situation right there? Those are the most dangerous situations. And that is sometimes why you might see APD involved. But that's also why we have our new department, the Community Safety Department, so that a social worker is doing outreach and connecting people with the services they need. But people have to go somewhere for a couple of days. You literally can't send 5,000 officers out on the street or 5,000 social workers. You gotta have somewhere where we can treat people with dignity and we can do better than letting them sleep on the street. How about we give them a warm bed and a shower and some food? That's what we do while we find the right way to get them help, and that's what the Gateway Center is for. Thank you, candidates. I appreciate your response to all the questions. We're gonna to go to um, our final segment of questions before we get to closing remarks. Uh, this is on the record. Uh, our group of individuals who were vetting questions uh, had questions that came in from the community and decided that we would ask these questions of you, the candidates. We'll start with candidate Aragon. Recently you made a claim that because a DNA test returned that you have, I believe, 4.6% black ancestry, that if elected you would be Albuquerque's first black mayor. Okay. During the summer, you were quoted saying there are people out there who celebrated Juneteenth but can't and won't celebrate Father's Day, mm -hmm. which may feel at, which many feel at best undermines the historical and cultural significance of the national holiday. Mm 
How do you defend these comments? And how would you respond to the black communities of New Mexico who may feel that these remarks are blatantly racist? Uh, they're facts. 71%, I don't have to tell you the, the number, you know, you could finish the rest of the sentence. 71% of children in black homes grow up fatherless. And you know that that's a big deal. And why are we removing Father's Day, which isn't on my calendar, but suddenly we have Juneteenth or Idar Fatir or all these various calendars. We are replacing our culture here in this country. I think we've been pretty successful in this country so far, but suddenly we've started creating new holidays. I'm unfamiliar with Juneteenth. I can tell you that it's not something that I've celebrated. I would like a warm, open welcome to a radio host who would love to educate me on Juneteenth and what it's all about from Corpus Christi, Texas and tell us exactly what it's about. But I gotta tell you, uh, just like Red Nation, and we're talking about indigenous people here, replacing Columbus Day with that, uh, that's creating a war here, a cultural war here in our city, in our state. Where was that originated? Was the first person to do it? Ray Garduño, he was the first person to do it. So in my opinion, I think the racism sort of goes both ways. And sort of uh, removing certain holidays here, uh, as we have done, and, and certainly removing certain statues of our cultural heritage, uh, I don't think is a necessary thing to do. I don't know that I need to reply to the black community on that. I am 4.6% uh, African. I can give you the strains if you are so please, and that would be fine. Um, but I believe that I've had my black card also removed by one of the people in the community. You can't change the fact, just like you can't change the 71% of households Grow, with a, grow up without a father. We need economic empowerment. Some of the greatest fathers that I've ever seen are African American, and I can tell you, it's just showing up and being there. Um, and I can tell you, being involved in those people's lives uh, is something that everybody wants to do if they have the economic opportunity. I don't think it's a result of the socioeconomic oppression that we say is institutional that's happening here uh, across the country and in our city. I think you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make things happen if you so desire and not find excuses for doing so. Thank you. Um, I do have a follow-up question. Sure. Um, could you source where you got the statistic of 71%? I, I don't have a running catalog of uh, You don't have a source? I'll be, I'll be happy to go ahead and provide that to you. Okay. Sure. And we'd also be happy to provide you with some resources about the history of uh, the origins of Juneteenth. And I think that in that spirit, we can all come together and educate each other because I have certainly have celebrated, as we've celebrated St. Valentine's Day or St. Patrick's Day or, you know... That's what? great. My final question is, sure. did you... Did you, you said that, that we replaced Father's Day. Has that been removed from the calendar? Uh, many calendars, yeah. I'll be happy to give you my, uh, it's the, uh, the train calendar, and I'll, I'll give you a copy of that as well. The Juneteenth is on there, but Father's Day and Mother's Day, Father's Day and Mother's Day not on that calendar. I'll be happy to share that with you as well. That would be great. We'll share thank it with you. the rest of the audience. Perfect, thank you. Um, and so our next question will go to, uh, on the record, uh, to candidate Keller. You have expressed support for the proposed New Mexico United Soccer Stadium, which will cost an estimated $65 million from city funds. Community concerns include that the location of the stadium may have negative impacts on nearby residents, uh, such as resident displacement and gentrification. Others are concerned that $400,000 was spent on a site survey that only included four locations. And finally, given the perceived negative impacts on the community, many believe that resources can be better spent on serious issues like education, crime, and homelessness. 
How would you justify your support for the proposed stadium, and how can the public be sure that it will be a benefit to our communities? Well, this is uh, inside the question. I want to do a little bit of fact checking. So the city is proposing $50 million, and city council voted on that seven to two. Seven to two. It's up to your vote as a community with what you want to do, and I'll respect that vote no matter how it turns out. This is just an idea that we have to do every two years. We put things on the ballot, and those of us who've been here a while will remember the isotopes. Uh, you know, the Dukes left, and they were gone for 10 years, and we had to build a stadium to get the Dukes back. And we voted on this. We even voted on uh, different ideas on when and where to put it and how much money to spend. So that's the right discussion to have. I also want to respect the questions about the funding and the location. And let me mention that the city has $100 million to spend. The idea is let's put half in a long-term investment for families for the future so that we have something wonderful to enjoy with our families. Uh, and the other idea is let's put the other half, the other 50 million, in things like housing and in things like other support programs. And so council is able to do that as they see fit going forward. I also want to mention that it'll be a publicly owned stadium so we can use it for other things including community events just like Isotope Stadium is. And there, the 400K that was used for the study, that was state money allocated for the study. We didn't have a, uh, that was earmarked for a study. And uh, also, uh, we do respect where it goes. In that study, there were actually dozens of locations studied. There were only four finalists. They looked at a lot of locations. And the locations that were chosen were chosen primarily because there aren't many people living in those locations. They're just empty space. So we are working with, for example, the Borellis neighborhood, and I want to emphasize working with. They're open to the idea, and they really want a community benefits agreement. And I literally signed this legislation today. We will not put this near a neighborhood without a community benefits agreement. And they've said that if, if things are the right thing in that community, uh, that they, uh, with a community benefits agreement, could be open to the stadium. So I think this is the right discussion to have. This is why we want it for a vote. And lastly, I just want us to remember, I think it's okay to have things, activities that cost five bucks for a family to go enjoy some sports. It's minor league soccer, just like it's minor league baseball. It's not the NFL, it's not major league baseball. This is just something about future generations for uh, our city and what our city looks like 40 years down the road. We gotta do that at the same time as address our urgent issues. Thank you, candidate Keller. Follow-up question, um, can you tell me how many times the Isotope Stadium has been rented by someone from the public? A lot, actually. In particular, church groups use it uh, several times a year. And obviously, the, the isotopes are not public, but they're using it right now. Uh, APS has used it for athletics in the past. And primarily, the challenge is the infield. So we always have to sort of in the scheduling. That's why it's not used more often. Uh, and I, ironically, too, you know, the neighborhoods around there just don't like the noise and the parking. It hasn't really been a gentrification issue. Thank you. Um, final on the record question to candidate Gonzalez. Earlier this year, your campaign was reprimanded for violating campaign ethics, and you have been on the record stating that you will not enforce Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham's public health order, claiming those orders to be unconstitutional. Given these circumstances, how can the community be sure that you will be able to uphold the laws of the state as mayor, and why should we trust you to? So, to clear the record, I, I didn't say they were unconstitutional. This is what I did say, is I have a constitutional duty to protect the people of Bernalillo County. That's my constitutional duty. The people of this community, community have been marginalized from services 
there's bullets riddling their homes, their vehicles, their persons, and crime's never been higher. We have mitigated crime in Bernalillo County and homicides have gone down. This fallacy that crime is going up across the country is a lie. It's a lie. And, the, and we can't live that lie. We have the worst homicide record and they keep on masking that at the expense of every victim and at the safety of every citizen of Albuquerque. And that's wrong, it's unethical, it's immoral that we don't value life more than politics. I will never ever put the people, I will always put the people first and politics second. This city and the people of this city have de been deprived the services they deserve and need. We, we have the worst economy, we have the highest crime per capita, and we have the ho worst homeless pr problem under this administration. And if we don't change the trajectory of the leadership here now, because we're at the crossroads of total anarchy for our people, then more middle class people are gonna leave, the children are gonna feel more unsafe, the families are gonna continue to leave, and we're, and, the, and we're already below the bottom of the barrel and everything. This is the opportunity for us to bring people together regardless of party, regardless of religion, regardless of belief. I can do that because I believe, I believe in the people. I have never not served one citizen of this county. I've always provided them with the services they need to protect their lives, property, and rights. Follow-up question, um, Candidate Gonzalez. So are you saying that you would uphold the laws as stated? Yes, to your point, that's an administrative order that the state police have to enforce. When people are crying in dire needs for law enforcement, that's my first constitutional duty. I, I will continue to do it. I will never waver politically to anybody. I do not work for the mayor. I do not work for the governor. I do not work for the president of the United States. I work for the people of this community and them alone. This is the government of the people and we need to give them back to their city, and I will give it back to them. Thank you. Um, I wanna say thank you to all of the candidates today, and uh, we have a little gift for you that I'm gonna give to you before we uh, do our final statements. We had, um, you know, adding some sweetness to our event today, so we have a cookie for you. It said that you can't have your cake and eat it too, but we'd like you to have a cookie um, that says New Mexico Black Voters Collaborative. We thank you um, for being here with us today. And we have our final statements. I wanna thank the uh, audience uh, today for being really wonderful. And also, uh, we are grateful to Highland High School uh, and the Albuquerque Public School System for allowing us to be here um, in this auditorium and uh, able to be in person. And we thank our online audience for being with us. And we're gonna close out with these final statements. Uh, we will start with candidate Gonzalez, uh, candidate Aragon, and we'll close with candidate Keller. Is this closing two minutes? This is your closing two minutes. Okay. In the future, I see a much brighter future for Albuquerque. I, ha I have the love for this community. I will restore the Albuquerque Police Department. 
I have the background, the knowledge, the experience, the reputation, but more, more importantly, I have the relationships it takes. People trust me, not because what I say, but because what I have done for them. I have served them my whole adult life, not only the country, but the people of this community, for the same reasons I opened up with, because I love my community. I came here with strong personal convictions. In February of 1994, to make my point, I was involved in a deadly force situation in the city of Albuquerque where somebody tried to kill me on a SWAT warrant. From here to the gentleman that's sitting over there behind that computer. And it wasn't that shooting that was important. What was important is to realize and affirm my commitment to serve the people. I didn't run away from that commitment. I took it very seriously, the oath of office, when I joined the sheriff's office, and I've never wavered. It just strengthened it because I went from what was a deputy at that time to become the sheriff because my love for God, country, and my neighbors, the people of this community. And I will never, ever waver on serving you. Nobody will work harder for you. Nobody will give more of themselves. I made a sacrifice to take this job. You'll never see that in public safety or service or elected officials, especially politicians. And when I say that, I took a $20,000 decrease to that affected me for the rest of my career, my livelihood and my families to serve the people of this community. And you'll never see that. I left the business behind so I could serve the people because that's what I was called to do. I am ready to take this city back on your behalf. Thank you. I appreciate you, and I, appreciate, I, I want your support, and I'm asking for your vote on November 2nd. Thank you very much. Thank you, Candidate Gonzalez. And I'm being really nice. Um, I said two minutes, so everybody will get two minutes. Final statement, uh, Candidate Aragon. Thank you, uh, Ms. Bell, for putting this together. Uh, the New Mexico Black Voters uh, Collaborative for having me here. I appreciate uh, that. For your colorful questions, I love them. I really thought that was good. And we're having community engagement. And Ms. Bell and I will be uh, talking about some of those stats. And incidentally, My name is Catherine McGill. McGill, I'm sorry. Thank <laughs> right. you. Right, thank apologize. you. Well, I wanted to make sure to thank you specifically. Uh, and do you still live in Oklahoma, or are you, are you here now? Have we moved you from Oklahoma to New Mexico? Uh, your time is running out. I'm well, I'd like for you to answer statement. that because we want to grow this uh, economy, we want to grow this city. And in order to do that, we have to be able to attract every person out there. And we only do that with a thriving economy. And I'm disappointed tonight that there's no talk about commerce. Despite Mr. Tim Trump being here, developing stadiums, developing hospitals, and all the please, other stuff that he's please. doing, I would, that's, that's my closing one. statement. I'd like to talk about commerce for a second, okay? If cost-effective, I believe it is, we'll remove the Albuquerque Rapid Transit. I want to prioritize the planning and commercial development, which is very important. We have to increase our tax base. We need homes, as we have noticed tonight, and we're severely lacking. Uh, we need to attract one Fortune 500 company here in the next five years. I'm the guy to do that as doing a corporate service and commercial real estate for 10 years. I want to work with regional and national developers to increase the number of industrial developments here in our uh, marketplace. Cloud kitchens, how many restaurants have been shuttered uh, during this time? No vaccine, no masking mandates uh, for me. I've already led the charge. Bernalillo County is already changing their policy. The city of Albuquerque has changed their policy. I'll be the most visible and audible mayor the city has ever seen. 
in my city manager bus, cruising around, visiting schools, visiting businesses, and reopening this economy. I care deeply. I'm the only Republican that's on the ballot. I'm top of the ballot. You can go to Fight for 505. I'm not a government employee, as my two competitors on the ballots uh, certainly are. I think we need somebody with private enterprise and can-do attitude to get this thing done. I'm your guy, Eddie Aragon. Vote November 2nd. Thank you. Candidate Keller. Well, thanks for hosting this discussion and for all of your uh, long track record helping the community. And I want to begin, I think, just by saying, you know, elected officials, once you get elected, you become a politician. So, you know, for better or for worse, uh, Sheriff, you're a politician. And you've been elected in partisan offices just like me. And you're also not the king. You don't get to decide what rules you follow and what rules you don't. And when the public health order is constitutional, you got to follow it. And the courts said that it was, and that's why you should uphold the Constitution you hold so dear. Now, I, I, I would be remiss not to mention just the litany of things that went untalked about today with respect to accountability. The sheriff has been over-policing communities of colors in the southeast and doing photo ops after it. The sheriff has been rounding up unsheltered people in the southeast and calling it being tough on crime. The sheriff has no women in his leadership team. The sheriff has faced millions of dollars in use of force lawsuits. The sheriff has been sheriff for eight years and he has very little to show, if nothing, when it comes to combating crime. It's his problem too. You can blame me, but you're part of that. And it was on the front page of the Albuquerque Journal that the county had worse crime than the city under your watch. And if you think crime is not a national problem, open the New York Times today, where it's New Mexicans talking about the same problems we have as everywhere else in the country. And so I believe our mayor has to speak truth. It might be truth that people don't want to hear sometimes. It might be truth that even makes me look bad. But that, fundamentally, is what leadership is all about. And with my administration going forward, you're going to see a commitment to build on the foundation that we've set. We've made the largest investment in homelessness in the history of Albuquerque, and we're going to see it through with the Gateway Center. We've created the most innovative reimagining policing uh, opportunity and program in the country with our community safety department, and we're going to see it through. We've announced thousands of new jobs coming, including Fortune 500 companies like Netflix and NBC Universal, and we're going to see that through. So with me, I believe we've got to move forward. This is no time to move backwards. That's why I hope you decide to keep Keller for another four years. Let's give them a big, huge round of applause. Candidate Aragon, candidate Keller, candidate Gonzalez. We thank you all for being here in our studio audience. We thank everybody who was with us online. Uh, we want to remind you that tomorrow is National Voter Registration Day. Uh, and remember, we, we began with the call to action to vote. It is our most precious and sacred tool. If you know somebody who is not registered to vote, please get them registered. On behalf of the New Mexico Black Voters Collaborative, all of our sponsors, we want to thank you for being here, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.
All right, that's it for this episode of New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. Special thanks to Kevin Maestas, who helped with the live stream of the New Mexico Black Voters Collaborative Mayoral Forum, along with myself, Kevin McDonald, your host and executive producer. If you uh, want to revisit any of this and are on YouTube or Facebook, you can find the full archive of the live stream there as well. We'll have much more about the elections in the coming days. Also want to let you know we're going to send out our next episode a little early uh, because of the timeliness. We've got a couple great interviews we did this week about the film industry in New Mexico and the strike that is going on, or not going on, but uh, union members of IATSE have uh, voted to approve a possible strike uh, in parts in a way to kickstart negotiations again with producers um, and the industry. And that could have huge implications here in New Mexico, and we want to dive into all of that. So be looking for that later this weekend. We want to thank you, as always, for tuning in, taking us with you wherever you go. Be sure to leave us a review. Subscribe if you haven't already. And until next time, thanks for listening.